Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life, uh, to rest in the assurance that we can't make ourselves holy. It is God that works in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So as we spend a few moments this morning uh, to reflect on the seventh-day Sabbath, we pray that you would speak to us, speak to our minds, inspire our hearts through the Holy Spirit. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. On the screen, I have a photograph of a sculpture that was created by Michelangelo arguably one of the greatest artists of all time. And this sculpture is a impression, artist impression of Mary holding the limp body of Jesus after the crucifixion. And this sculpture can be found in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It's called the Pieta. And Michelangelo completed this sculpture at the age of 24, took two years for him to do it, and this is considered by many to be the apex, uh, the sculpture came at the apex of the Italian Renaissance period, it's considered to be one of Michelangelo's greatest works, and the story goes that as Michelangelo had just completed this sculpture, this masterpiece, that he overheard an individual credit the sculpture to another artist. This did not make him too happy. So later on, he went back to this sculpture and he chiseled in the sculpture the sash of Mary, these words, and I zoomed in on the sculpture. You can see it there. You can see it says Michelangelus, okay? And if you do the translation, here it is. This is a literal translation of what he inscribed on the sash, Michelangelo, I can't say this, Buonarroti Florentine made it. He wanted no question as to who was the creator of this sculpture. He had signed it in stone and inscribed it on the statue. And this is the only work of art that Michelangelo actually signed. Today we want to talk about another signature. It's the signature of God, and it's not in a place or in an item. It's in time, and I invite you to go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as we look at the culmination of the creation week, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. At the end of the creation week, the Bible says that God rested, he blessed, and he sanctified the seventh day. He made it holy. Just a few observations. This is before there was any Jew. Adam and Eve were not Jewish. I don't know what they were, but they're original. But they weren't Jews. Jews came many years later, descendants of Abraham. So the idea that 
the Sabbath is a Jewish institution, it really is contrary to Scripture. And this was before there was any sin on the planet. When everything was perfect, God instituted the Sabbath in Edenic perfection. The Sabbath was instituted, and the first complete day that Adam and Eve had the joy of experiencing was the Sabbath. They were created on the sixth day. The first complete day was the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest, the first complete day that Adam and Eve were able to experience. And here are the works of God. God ended his work on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We're familiar with this text. I want to spend a few moments reflecting on the sanctity of this day that we call the Sabbath, a memorial of creation and redemption that God rested, He blessed, and He made it holy. Now, when we look at these words in the Hebrew, by the way, Genesis is a beautiful work of literary genius when you look at it. It's interesting because in Genesis chapter 2, 2, and 3, it says, and on the seventh day God finished his work which he had done, and this is exactly seven words in the Hebrew, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Again, seven words in the Hebrew. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Seven words in the Hebrew again. Beautiful, just poetic masterpiece that was put together. Seven words, seven words, seven words. And you look at the other days that are mentioned in Genesis 1. The first day is mentioned once. The second day, once. Third day, once. Fourth day, once. Fifth day, once. Sixth day, once. But then you come to the seventh day, and it's interesting because you come to the seventh day, and it says the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. When you look at Hebrew syntax, when the authors wanted to emphasize something as being important, they would repeat it twice. But here, it's repeated three times. The seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. Now, when your mother tells you something, right, and she tells you it, come on, we got some mothers in here, right? Mothers in Israel. And she tells you something twice, it's important. But when she tells you three times, it elevates the importance. So here we come, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. Just from the repetition of this text, these words shows you that this has importance. This is something that we should pay attention to. It's repeated as we've just read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of the creation week, and let's go to Genesis chapter 1, the very first words of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You're familiar with the way the Bible begins, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and the Bible begins with an interesting way of framing the creation week. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness 
was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible points out that prior to the creation week, there was something that was there. I don't know what it was, but there was some sort of substance that was there. The substance was not having shape. It was without form and void, and there was nothing in it. There was this mass that was there prior to the creation week. The earth was without form and void, and the Bible says that there was water evidently on it. When we look at the words without form and void in the Hebrew, form, without form is the Hebrew word tohu, it indicates without shape. There was no form or definition to this planet. The other word, void, bohu, means that it was empty. There was no substance in it. It was uninhabited. And when we look at the creative process, God goes through the creation week and forms the earth and then proceeds to fill it. He forms the earth and then he fills it. In the first three days of creation, he forms, and in days four, five, and six, he proceeds to fill it. Now, I did not come up with this idea. This is from the Hebrew scholar, Dr. Muscala, and this is a chart that he describes in one of his scholarly articles that he published, peer-reviewed, and here it is. This is according to Dr. Muscala. Remember, the earth was without form and void. It did not have shape, and there was nothing in it, so God proceeds to form the earth and then to fill it. So in the first three days, you can see on the left side of this column, God proceeds on day one, to separate the day from the night. Now, how do you give something shape and definition? There has to be a process of distinction, of definition, of separation and division. So the creative process involves a separation and division, and this is the first three days of creation. God goes on day one and separates the day from the night. On day two, He separates the water and the sky. He creates a firmament. On day three, he separates the land from the sea. This is the forming stage in the process of creation. The earth was without form and void. It did not have shape and there was nothing in it. And then on day four, five, and six, God proceeds to fill what was previously vacant. On day four, he fills the heavens, the sun and the moon. On day five, he fills the land, or I should say the water and the sky with fish and birds. And on day six, he fills the land with animals and humans. The creative process of God is forming and filling. And then we come to the seventh day of creation, and according to Dr. Muscala, it is the only day in which the creative process of forming and filling come together on one day, in which God forms and fills the Sabbath with His holiness, with the holiness of God. This is from the New International Version, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day 
and made it holy. And this is a quote from Dr. Mascala. The Sabbath was formed and filled with the holy presence of God. The Bible indicates that the word holy is literally to set apart for holy use. That is the forming stage, but he also made it holy in that he filled the Sabbath day with his holiness. God took a 24-hour period and he filled this 24-hour period that we are experiencing right now with his holiness. We are right now in holy time. Amen? According to the sequential of the creation week, every seven days, like a holy wave, the holiness of God is infused in this 24-hour period. And he does this by giving this 24-hour period his presence. Richard Davidson says, the Sabbath is holy because God fills it with his presence. The presence of God is here with us right now. I have a photograph on the screen of a 19th century portable lap desk. And from all external appearances, this lap desk looks like just an ordinary piece of furniture. We don't have these right now. We don't really use them. We don't have a need for them. And if you were to see this lap desk or have it in your house, you might eat your peanut butter jelly sandwich on it, right? Perhaps have a cup of tea. Huh? Maybe do your homework on it if you're in school. What if I told you that this portable lap desk was the same desk that Thomas Jefferson drafted the Declaration of Independence. By the way, it is. It's a photograph of that. Does that change how you relate to this desk? At least it would me. I mean, this is from uh, November 14, 1825. Thomas Jefferson wrote to his granddaughter to inform her that he was sending her his own writing box as a wedding gift. And he wrote, its imaginary value will increase with years and may see it carried in the procession of our nation's birthday as the relics of the saints are in those of the church. So Thomas Jefferson knew that this desk would have some importance in the history of American, American just origin. Here is one of the founding fathers of America, this great country, and this is the desk that he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And here are the words. From the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Praise God for these words, right? That became the kernel the seeds of what made this country so great, and it was on this piece of furniture that he drafted those profound words. And it seems almost sacrilegious to eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich on it. 
right? I wouldn't. You don't have tea on this desk. I mean, you put it in a museum. The U.S. government owns this desk. Now, I'm not indicating that this desk is sacred or holy, but you relate to historical items like this differently. You, you, you relate to it differently. You don't treat it like an ordinary desk. Now, on a whole other quantum level, the Sabbath is infused with the holiness of God. Amen? And because of the holiness of God in this 24-hour period, he formed it and he filled it. I don't know how this whole process works in a unit of time, how God can take his holiness and infuse it into time. But that's precisely what happened. And so right now, in this 24-hour period, we are in holy time. Amen? And the way that we relate to this time should be different than the way that we relate to every other common day. Amen? You treat things differently like this desk differently than you do the desk at AJA. Right? Our school down the road. You relate to it differently because one of the founders of America drafted a very important document on this desk, and just that association impacts the way that we relate to it if we reverence and or hold any regard for this country. And we need to process how we as Seventh-day Adventists relate to the Seventh-day Sabbath. And I fear that we are in danger through the culture of Adventism to treat something that God has said is sacred as, as common. I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I was born a Seventh-day Adventist, um, if that's possible. Uh, my mother is the son of a pastor. And so third generation Seventh-day Adventist, I was born in Tacoma Park, Maryland in Washington, D.C., which is the place where uh, the GC, the General Conference, and the Review and Herald were at one time. I mean, like, I'm just, I, I don't know what it is, but I grew up in these Adventist communities. I went to John Nevins and School, elementary school, which is named after the first missionary, the first Adventist missionary. And then my parents moved to Silver Spring, Maryland, next to the new General Conference office. I don't know what it is about my heritage, but, but then we moved to Hagerstown, Maryland, next to the Review and Herald. And then when I went into ministry, I pastored in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Now, I don't know how many Sabbaths I've kept, but I've kept, I mean, thousands of them, gobs of them. And there's something about growing up in this church. It's a blessing and it's a, it's a challenge too because after a while you just go through the motions of going to church, Sabbath school, church, and then you go to potluck. Praise the Lord for potluck, right? Eat your haystacks and your veggie links and your super links and we have our own Adventist lingo and so forth. And then you go through all of these motions and you get to the place where you actually forget the deeper meaning 
of what the Sabbath is all about. And you get down this road, perhaps of a drudgery and even do's and don'ts, and you lose the overall meaning. But when you recognize that this 24-hour period has been filled with the holiness of God, His presence, it impacts how we relate to it. It impacts how we engage in it. Richard Davidson said the Sabbath, because it's been infused with God's presence, it has to do with His person. This is a date with God. If you go on a date with your spouse on your anniversary, and the entire time you're on ESPN checking the sports scores, or you're engaged on social media when you should be engaged in a conversation with your spouse, that communicates something. The Sabbath is relational. It's a palace in time, according to Abraham Herschel. And because God infused the Sabbath with His holiness, it impacts how we relate to the Sabbath. And here it is from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the Lord's holy day honorable and you honor it, not going your own way and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in the triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The Sabbath was to be and is to be a delight. It's not to be a drudgery, but the Sabbath is to be sacred. The Sabbath is to be holy, and there should be a difference between the common days and the day that is sacred. Amen? We should relate to it differently because of the person that is behind the Sabbath. Now, let's talk a little bit about holiness, and this is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. God said, be holy because I am what? Because I am holy. I mean, when's the last time you heard a sermon from this text? I mean, this is challenging because my immediate reaction is, I'm anything but holy. You feel overwhelmed at the thought that God is calling us to holiness. Be holy because I am holy. Holiness is what God is calling us to be. And notice that God does not lower the expectations. You know, when I read this text, my blood pressure goes up because I feel immediately inadequate. God says, look, be holy. And I'm like, there's no way I can, I can ever be that. It's like saying you need to score 1,600 on your SAT to get into Harvard. I mean, it's like, wow, that's, are you kidding me? That's impossible for me. Be holy because I'm holy. Now, now notice the, the language here. God does not lower the expectation. He does not lower the condition. Holiness is what God is requiring. Uh, there's a myriad of texts. I, I saved you. I didn't put them here all on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without what? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In other words, holiness is the requirement that God is, is putting forth.
us to enter the kingdom of heaven. God does not lower the bar. He does not minimize the standard. He said, look, holiness is what I'm calling us to be. Now look at this beautiful text in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. And I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Let me read that again, the last part. So that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. In other words, we can't make ourselves holy. There's nothing we can do to bring about that final result. It is God who makes us holy. Some people say, David, the Sabbath is all about legalism. It's all about working your way to heaven. It's about works. Well, quite the contrary. The Sabbath is all about rest. The Sabbath is all about grace. You're the one that's telling me to work. I'm telling you to rest. And when you rest on the Sabbath, you are resting in the fact that we can't make ourselves holy. It is God who makes us holy. In other words, God is not just in the business of filling His holiness in time. He's in the business of filling people with His holiness. I was talking to a former classmate of mine, you know, years after we graduated. and It's interesting because we both went to the same Adventist institution and you would never be able to tell, but from all external appearances, this person had all of, you know, she had Christianity down, and you know what she told me? This was just last week. She said, you know, David, I really struggled with inadequacy and guilt because I thought that I would never measure up. <laughs> And uh, I, was, I said, really? And she said, yeah, I struggled with that for a, long li- for a long time. And the individual told me that she was singing a hymn at her home church, covered with his life, whiter than snow. And she said, can God actually cover me? And she started to weep. And that was the first time she actually experienced the rest and the grace that comes from acknowledging that it's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation or to merit our salvation or to make ourselves holy. But every Sabbath, when we come together to worship God, we're actually acknowledging the fact that we can't do it. That's what this this time also represents, that we can't make ourselves holy. And the creation week shows us that The earth was without form and void, had no shape, had no definition, there was nothing in it, that God can take this through a creative process and make something very beautiful. And at the end, the memorial of that is the Sabbath. And in the same way, he takes David's shin, a mess, without form and void, and through his recreative power, recreates in me the image of God. And every time I celebrate the Sabbath, It is a memorial, not only of God creating the earth, but the memorial that God creates in me, a clean heart, and renews a right spirit within me. And what a a beautiful reality that is. 
So when you come <laughs> to church on Sabbath and you feel inadequate, you feel like a failure, feel like you've messed up, you feel like you never can measure up, remember that this memorial, this 24-hour period, is that continual reminder that it's God that makes us holy. And we don't work on this day. We rest on this day. We rest in that assurance. We rest in God that it is He who can do this. I don't know how, (laughs) but He can. It is God who makes us holy. Even as God filled the seventh-day Sabbath with His holiness, God fills people with His holiness. That's the thesis of my entire message this morning. Even as God filled the seventh-day Sabbath with His holiness, God fills people with His holiness. I don't know how He does it, but He does. Even as He is able to infuse time with His presence and make it holy, He's able to take someone like me, broken, in need of grace, and say, David, I'm going to pour my holiness into you. And every Sabbath, we can say, Lord, I want to rest in that assurance. Amen? Amen? I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be all just in this state of uncertainty. We can just say, ah, and rest in that reality that God does it. And we may not always feel it, we may not always see it, but it is God's work. And the same God that created the earth with the word speaks and creates from nothing something very beautiful. Amen? And we can have that assurance today. There is a creative power. This is from Dr. Mascala. There is a creation power in holiness. Those who observe the Sabbath participate in God's holiness. They are strengthened and transformed so that they bring God's presence into real life. So as we come every week and we celebrate the holiness of God, which is filled in this 24-hour period, we by faith can participate in the holiness of God and rest in that assurance. I don't know about you, but I need that assurance. Amen? Amen. And how many of you want to say, Lord, I want you to create in me a clean heart today. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we, we thank you for the Sabbath. There's so many beautiful truths that we can meditate on and reflect on. And we thank you for this 24-hour period that you set apart and that you filled with your holiness. Lord, Father, as we relate to this time, we pray that you'd help us to relate to it in a way that would glorify you. Not that the Sabbath should be a drudgery, but that it should be a delight as we delight in God's presence. We thank you that we can rest in the assurance that it is not we that make ourselves holy, but it's God that makes us holy. And the Sabbath is a testament, a memorial to that fact. 
For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.